Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is November 26, 2013, and my guests will be Stanton Peel and Ilsa Thompson. Uh, Stanton Peel has written over 12 books. He's written Seven Tools to Beat Addiction, The Truth About Addiction and Recovery, the Diseasing of America, How We Allowed Recovery Zealots in the Treatment Industry to Convince Us. We are all out of, what well, I, I don't know what the rest of that is. He wrote that in 99, The Meaning of Addiction. Uh, he wrote that in 98. And The uh, Addiction Proof Your Child, one of my favorite books, A Realistic Approach to Preventing Drug, Alcohol, and Other Dependencies. Fabulous book for parents or for young adults. Love and Addiction uh, was his first book back in 1976. He's just got a long list, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Culture Cure. So uh, the one we're talking about today, the new book that's coming out, Ilsa Thompson wrote this uh, with Stanton Peel. Ilsa runs and ran the Stinking Thinking blog that was the hugest uh, critical view of Alcoholics Anonymous blog that uh, at the time, it was really, really busy, I believe 2009, 10, and 11, uh, recover, stop thinking like an addict, and reclaim your life with the perfect program. And I, 818-475-9211 is the number to call in. Uh, 818-475-9211. I, know, I see we have somebody in the queue, and it looks like it might be ill, so let's bring her on. Hello. Hey, Monica. Hi, Ilsa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. You sound like you're in a tunnel a bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I'm off. This, I'm on the speakerphone so that we can hear because uh, we're filming this. And um, I'm so happy that you could do the show. Is Stanton going to call in? Uh, yes, he is. I thought he... I thought he had already. I thought That's I heard good. We have you on. Maybe I didn't. Oh. Yeah, he'll call in any time. I'll just keep the whole thing is wide open. So I am so excited to hear about your book. 
oh, I know, I can't believe it's finally happening. <laughs> I know. How long did it take to write it? Um, we worked on it for three years. Wow. Wow. I had no idea that long. Yeah, I was just talking about the blog, Ilsa. When did Stinking Thinking first launch? Oh, my gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think it was, well, I should get Mark on here. Those date things are hard for me. Um, was it 2009? 2000, oh, 2009. Uh, let's see, we're having a problem with my... Um, I, I just wondered. It's okay. It's, it's not a... It, it was just, you know, one of the things that really helped me a lot. And um, are you going to start blogging there again now that the book is uh, going to come out? Yes, we are. We're going to relaunch the the blog and and sort of broaden the scope a bit so that it's more recovery-oriented um, things and not just uh, the 12-step the, um, the, you know, the muckraking in the 12-step industry that we had been doing. So it's going to be a lot broader, and we're going to be able to cover a lot more um, more topics than than we were able to before. Oh, good. Do you, know, do you have a date for that? Well, we're working on it right now. Uh, okay. It's just that it probably, you know, within the month is, or maybe sooner, just as, just as soon as it takes us uh, to – you know, get the get the old one archived and the new one set up. Good. I think we have Stanton in the queue. Oh, good. So I am gonna. I'm just arranging my mic because we were we actually wanted to record this. So let me let me bring him on. Stanton, okay. is this you? Uh, can you hear me, uh, Monica? Yes. This is uh, this is Apollo 12. I can read you. <laughs> <laughs> Very excellent. Well, I'm so glad to join you and Ilsa. I, I already listened. Uh, I was listening to the two of you before I got on. Well, show we're filming this uh, in my uh, house here, and I thought it would be a good one to just document my radio show and the progress of it, and having two of my you know favorite people, Stanton Peel and Ilsa Thompson, we're talking with <laughs> here on Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. And I am so excited. I think it's so timely with your book, uh, Recover. Let me just, I'm going to say it one more time. I love the, the title. Recover, Stop Thinking Like an Addict and Reclaim Your Life with a Perfect Program. So you want to tell me uh, what's in this book? What can we find? You know, I already pre-ordered my copies, so I have two copies coming. Uh, and tell me about the book. Well, that's really, uh, I'm glad you pre-ordered it, and people can search Peel, uh, go to Amazon and search Peel Recover, which is the main title, and they can link to it as well. I, I guess a good part, this place to start, is to talk about Stop Thinking Like an Addict. Mm -hmm. uh, Ilsa and I don't approach addiction as something inevitable written in your genetic code or created by this substance or that substance or this activity or that activity. It's a way people have of relating to experience 
that slots into their life to protect them from other things that they fear and don't feel capable of dealing with. Mm -hmm. And part and parcel for us that we devote the initial parts of the book to are being afraid of both life and the thing that you're addicted to and being overwhelmed by it. So for us, the idea that's conveyed by either AA or by neuroscientific models that you can't possibly control that thing, that it hijacks your brain, is actually part and parcel of the addiction. And that's one of the things that you have to overcome in your route out of addiction. Hilsa, you take over. Oh, um, <clears throat> yeah, I I think um, the uh, – I want to say that the, the – the approach that we take is is definitely more empowering than than um the having to accept that you have a disease or that you know you have to be constantly vigilant against your addiction it's it's uh it's more of a growing out of it or um maturing out of it i guess is is what they call it right uh, and so the book focuses a lot on um, giving you uh, the techniques to um, to to handle everyday situations, things that you might not have learned how to do, uh, or that you've never quite gotten gotten your feet on the ground about. You know, to to really make your life um, uh, uh, your own. We focus a lot on um, some key concepts that come out of mindfulness and meditation and which are linked to Buddhism but which translate into psychological theory and approaches. Um, I think Ilse can talk a lot about both mindfulness and loving kindness, uh, the things that are very close to her heart. Yeah, we, we that's the foundation you know the book uh covers a lot of ground but the the foundation of it it really is in in developing those mindfulness skills which which um uh, are very anti addiction i believe mm-hmm. so so Ooh, um yeah mm-hmm. and i know monica that you that you practice that too right that's right uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, do. I've, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I do. I've you know been meditating a long time, and and then really one of the things that sort of really helped me deprogram before I even was leaving AA was I was turned on to a guy who taught quantum meditation, which is really TM, but they changed the name to quantum so that it didn't have any connection to any religion, so they could teach it in schools, and you know people who were into faith could use meditation. And one of the things that George Quant, and I've interviewed him twice on my radio show, said in his teaching is that we're not broken. That even if you're calling yourself, because he taught a lot of people in 12-step, even if you're calling yourself an addict, an alcoholic, that they have discovered that the brain is not, you know, you're not damaged. That is, he really was like so strong about it. And they had spent millions, like $25 million in the 70s as they began the research of the, of the helpfulness of meditation, 
even if you did it a couple of minutes, even if you weren't religious, right? And right. I be, it sort of opened up this crack in my head. <laughs> That's not really funny. <laughs> um, that uh, made me totally get it. I said, I'm not broken. You know, that's, I was like, oh, my God, I am not. And I began to do this meditation that was very simple. And the key to it, the thing that I love when you say this, Stanton, is loving kindness, mindfulness and loving kindness, that I began to meditate in a way where there was absolutely no judgment, you know? That's the practice that he taught. And I was like, you know, it's not about that I'm more spiritual than you, which, which was so much of early AA. Like, who could get an out-of-the-body experience and who could meditate longer? It's like such spiritual arrogance was all around meditation in the 70s when I was in AA. So, uh, well, one of the things that we're most opposed to disease models, whether they're from AA or neuroscience, is that they convey exactly what you describe, Monica, that you're broken. I mean, yeah. the first thing you get up and say in an AA meeting, of course, is I'm an alcoholic. And um, there's so much of the activity, if you really go through the steps about acknowledging all your wrongs, making amends, so much of the process is negative. About, it's about what's wrong with you. We begin with the case of a woman named Rose who problem. That's the chapter, first chapter. And at one point she... Uh, engages with AA, and it just added to her burdens. It didn't allow her to see what was exactly, as you described, good about her, that she wasn't broken, that her core, which is a very Buddhist concept, her Mm -hmm. core was essentially sound, and really what we were talking about was allowing that a chance to manifest itself. You tell Elsa, you take it from there would you you'll help on that idea i think oh uh well yeah i i i with the story of rose the story of rose uh she um she ultimately is able to to get her life back on track by by um, really focusing on the things that that are important to her in her life, and um, especially the things that that she thought she was um, uh, like, for instance, um, she 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 was a a uh, young mother who was trying to do so much to keep her to keep her family afloat and get ahead and she started using meth and and um those were the those were the things that were important to her to begin with so right. when she lost track of it it was bringing those things back and focusing on the things that that brought meaning to her life that that helped her um overcome can you talk a little bit about the uh the AA experience and how about much of a downer and how much it focuses on what's broken about people? Well, yeah, I think that, um, that, you know, like you mentioned, you know, all the, you know, making amends and, you know, I have a disease and it's out doing its push-ups in the parking lot and, (laughs) and, (laughs) uh, I'm sorry. 
You know what? I I got to interrupt you a second. There is. Yes. I was in New York and I went into the New York World Service and I there they have all their literature there. And I picked about two pieces of literature because I'm creating, I've already created the DUI literature. I'm going to create two more, one to the professionals, one for youth. I picked up their one to healthcare professionals. You would not believe this, what's in this literature. It says, now, they, now let's get this straight. Anybody who's listening who doesn't know this, A, has never done any research, like none. And it says that we alcoholics uh, feel that um, uh, we have spiritual uh, deficiencies. <laughs> like that's they're saying that to healthcare professionals, and that the alcoholics like us, we can never drink again, and that if we did, even after long periods of abstinence, things will be just as bad as they were. It's like who made this up, Bill Wilson, and he made it up quickly in a couple of years, and then they never researched it or vetted it at all. You know? Right. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's based on you know the foundation of it is that is that Oxford group. The which you know when I was reading about it really seemed to me like the uh, you know like a prosperity theology from from back in the day and um, and you know the, the 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 basic foundation of of the program is is right in there and it's you know this uh, 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 a program of you know being able to to achieve absolute honesty and purity and and love and and you know um, it, it's a it's a there's no <laughs> I mean obviously there's no science there that's <laughs> that's what it's all based on just sort of a a, a nebulous you know, absolute purity kind of. Uh, and it's ironic that when you think about an AA meeting itself, you spend so much time immersed in, and we and we describe this throughout Recover, when we talk about loving kindness, for example, you spend so much time immersed in all that you've done wrong, all that's wrong with you. There these high-flown ideals, but right. it's a. It's a way to beat yourself up more. I mean, mm-hmm. people describe going in there, and they, they don't emerge feeling more powerful. Of course, they're powerless. They don't emerge thinking about what skills they had, what good things they've done, what positive capacity they have. And recover, it, I, we begin, you know, a perfect program. Uh, the, the word perfect comes itself from uh, mindfulness and, and, and Buddhism, and the idea that you are, you certainly have problems, but you're actually a perfect entity, that what you need to connect with is your values and what's good about you and to expand those rather yeah. than to allow yourself to be flooded over by all the negative experiences that you've had. And, and what AA does and what, what the supposedly new brain science of addiction do is to convince you that these flaws are branded on your DNA and in your brain and can never be removed. Right, right. Um, one of the things, visuals I had as we were working on editing, uh, I, we worked on your footage, Stanton and Ken Anderson and the, the woman who was uh, stalked 
I wanted to say this too. I think Kenny Anderson really said it in his interview that after he only went to AA for a couple of months, but he had actually abstained, and then after going, increased his drinking, binge drinking, and that he found that a lot of people who are now liking harm reduction uh, for alcohol were really had terrible experiences uh, with that. But what on the point of what you were saying, I was. Imagining, because the victim actually said to me that a lot of cops in New York are now members of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was kind of like shocked and horrified about that. And I said, imagine I could go to educate cops on these alternatives and saying to them, imagine, guys, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to give you the tools of the 1930s. And that would be a six-shooter you know, six revolver, revolver. How do you say it? Revolver. Um, you're going to have no cell phones, no cameras. You're going to have no access to the Internet. You're going to have just paper, just paper and those old rotary phones. Now go do your job. And that's what you're doing when you walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and you're using something that was created, never vetted, never changed, and never researched to deal with just alcohol and drug overuse. Who wants that? Well, and, 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 of course, what we're trying to do is to fan your own internal resources. You're not going to live a life free of addiction, you know, as we stay and recover, unless you're in touch with your own capabilities and your own uh, desires and values and your own ability to live a free life. There's no other way around it. There's right. no way to convince yourself that you're powerless, that you're suffering from a disease, and that this is going to enable you to live a full life. Uh, I think we have a really good uh, statement in there, uh, Elsa, don't, that where we say abstinence is nothing. You don't, abstinence mm-hmm. is only about not doing something. Right. Tell, tell them more about that, Elsa. Well, yeah, if, I mean, if, if, if that's all you're focusing on is, you know, spending all your life vigilantly not doing something, it's like you're, you're, creating your 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 you're building your life around a void and it seems to me that if if anything is going to contribute to addiction it's going to be that instead of focusing on um you know filling that (laughs) filling that space with with things that 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 bring bring you joy and value and meaning and um, it, it's just we're taking the opposite approach. Do you feel I want like to just introduce you to again. Monica, as a result of, uh, how, how did you experience being in AA and emerging from AA in terms of your personal potency and capability? Um, say that beginning beginning part again, Stanton. It kind of broke up. Well, you came out of AA. You were immersed in AA, and now that you've gotten free of AA, how has that affected your own view of yourself and your own confidence and your own power? Uh, I feel a lot freer. Uh, I think that I don't, I've seen it in someone else more what you're trying to say. Someone else that I, very close to me that I love left. I saw him get very empowered after leaving and his confidence soar uh, and his self-esteem get really shift with uh, this male person that's in my life. 
But for myself, it was more of a freedom and actually feeling really a part of the world, which I thought I felt a part of. Uh, I was already kind of a tough, empowered woman. There was a lot of deprogramming I did about A along the way. But to really feel a part of humanity was when I left. And it was a lot of sadness. I had to go through a year of a lot of mourning of the early, my early 20s that I wasted a lot of time in Alcoholics Anonymous being of huge service. But that just gives me more information for my film now. You know, I understand how somebody can get caught up in a cult and caught up in brainwashing and thinking being of service in this way and being a good person and all that stuff. And I do believe that because I do have religious or spiritual beliefs that all that work that I did in AA was my work. You know, it was what I did for humanity and that all of those good you know, uh, good karma in Buddhism, whatever, that I did, I did for me and my family. You know what I mean? That it really wasn't wasted. I had to kind of finally come around and make it that um, I did that work. And all of that goodness of me trying to really help people was Monica really trying to help people, regardless of the mm-hmm. bullshit in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, well, when, you so, perfect, you know? when, when you look at Perfect, you know? When you look at Perfect, uh, it, I think you're talking about the E in em, embrace. I mean, P is something we talk about as pausing, where mindfulness gives you the ability to create the space to make decisions. It's the opposite of the idea that you're in the throes of something that you can't control. We talk a lot, uh, don't we, about self-will. That's the worst thing in mm-hmm. AA, but... We say. Yeah, for us it's it it is it's most it's key, you know, and and free will is hard, and it's not. Uh, I, I think most people confuse it with the idea of just doing whatever it is that you you feel compelled to do it at any given moment. Right. right. As opposed to to being able to make a decision and say. Okay, this is this is this is what is going to bring the most value to my life. This is what is going to further my my vision for myself, even though I don't feel like doing it. That, but if you choose to do that, that is a real exercise of free will, rather than you know just going, ah, I don't feel like doing that, and and you know grabbing a beer or whatever it is that <laughs> that right. you'd rather. At the moment, we we you know. talk about the fact that AA puts down the idea that you should rely on yourself and uh-huh. and that you can control your life. And right. we talk about modern psychological theory and practice, which shows that free will and, and, and self control are actually practicable skills. I mean, obviously, in the first place, you have to believe you're capable of those things. But in the second place, you exercise some discipline. You can uh, develop the skill of directing your attention and your focus where you want to go. And so pause is about creating the space in your mind and in your world to allow you to exercise that free will. And we, we talk about exercises like SPOT, which give you a little space to introduce between your addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ilse, Can you, you elaborate on that about... a little bit, Stanton? Did you say spot, the word S-P-O-T? Yeah. 
Ilsa, I think, will be good on that one. Ilsa, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because it sounds like there's sort of a, there's a program in this, but I don't even want to call it that. Program's a little damaged for me right now, okay? That word is tainted. <laughs> I hope oh, that's... so, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a little acronym to um, keep you, you know, if you're, if you're in the moment. Um, right. You know, in the moment of of uh, of, um, uh, of uh, feeling a strong compulsion or an urge, you know, you will. Uh, it's an exercise that you can kind of, you know, keep in your mind to, you know, uh, to um, to you know stop and and uh, stop. Yes, in spot. And po- what? Yeah, and to to you know pause, practice your mindfulness. You know, kind of expand the moment is what you want to do. You know, where it's mm-hmm. just, everything feels like it's it's so close, and you need to do this or you need to do that. It's just a way of kind of of opening up uh, opening up that moment, expanding it so that you can actually start making decisions for yourself there. You know. You know what I see sometimes? And you really do have alternatives to the, every moment. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the way of allowing you both to understand that, but to also develop the skill and the time. I, I really like the way Elsa put it, expanding the moment to exercise the kinds of choices that you ultimately want to and prefer to exercise. We... It, it, in, uh, but the thing that you were speaking about, Monica, that really struck a bell with me is this: the second part of the acronym PERFECT is EMBRACE. And mm-hmm. you, you, you have to begin by embracing your, your own self. You have to accept your, yourself first and foremost before you start. I mean, I know some of the problems that you focus on are how people get almost enslaved either to the group AA or to individuals in AA where you, you focus on a lot of really bad relationships. It's something I think that you talk about particularly from uh, a woman's point of view. And right. if, if you don't, and it, to me it makes so much sense that that happens in the AA context where you're not allowed to recognize and embrace your own self your own value as a human being. And we have loving-kindness meditations are directed towards, first of all, um, accepting and loving yourself, that that's the principle out of which all of your ability to help others and to grow comes from. Mm-hmm. I think it's important, too, to, 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 to see that... Um, um, loving kindness directed at yourself as not some kind of um, uh, you know unrealistic like everything I say is good and I'm perfect and all you know I mean uh, it's it, it's a, it's more an ability to see yourself clearly and and to hold yourself with compassion at the same time so. You know, instead of saying, you know, uh, like, 
What's an you example know, I, I of have, compassion? I have towards, the, oh, I'm sorry. What's an example of compassion towards yourself? Maybe you can give kind of a concrete example that will help people comprehend that idea. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, it, it, it would be I, You know like, what? I want to say something because I have some good yeah. examples. I was in the rooms a long time. Here's what I see happening. Even people with a lot of time will have a critical self-talk about themselves, and they're mm-hmm. not encouraged to, like, clap and hurrah, you know, like if something good happens. I mean, maybe in small good mm-hmm. meanings, but this whole thing about having to be humble all the time and humility. So mm-hmm. if you get a great job or you have a lot of success, that's kind of poo-pooed. Uh, right. And it's really damaging for long-term recovery. So that's why people who have a lot of time, after a while, I would see people with 20 years and over, uh, it started about 15 years, that if they didn't really immerse themselves in outside work, if they didn't get therapy, if they really didn't read books like your, you've written uh, or do a Tony Robbins workshop or something, they really started to kind of t- get really tweaked and kind of a lot of women I could see have almost breakdowns. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's almost like a little rat on a wheel, just spinning, spinning, spinning. But if you listen to Chapter 5 over and over again, it tells you that you're, you know, it's a lot of really horrible statements that are repeated, you know, in almost like you're in a trans hypnotic state when they read Chapter 5 to begin with. Right. I think it's very important. I think we give examples of that, don't we, uh, also, where we... One thing we talk about is a kind of a new industry that's a real, and one thing we talk about in Recover, our book, is that there's a new industry that's developed about, you know, since you've been abused, uh, you need to spend all of your time digging into yourself to find out, you know, what bad things have happened to you. And sometimes we give one case of a woman who appeared to be highly successful, and therapy seemed to be mainly a matter of explaining to her that all of that success, all the positive things that she had, she had a good job, she had a good marriage, she had a good relationship with her daughter, that all of those things were actually illusory. It's almost the reverse of therapy, where in therapy you're made, you need to be able to feel good about what you have accomplished and about yourself. And it, it was as though this treatment, which was associated with AA, which was focusing on the abuse she might have had or the fact that her parents drank too much, uh, made her less of a person than she thought she was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it reminds me of, that reminds me of another uh, story of of of, uh, of one of the members of the blog who who was really working through some some uh, a similar situation, and she was a very successful person, and right. thought eventually, you know, I'll I need to. Maybe you remember her, Monica. She, you know, she thought, well, maybe I I should start now that I'm in this position and I've achieved all of these things that are that have been so important to me. Maybe now I can, you know, go back and focus on some of these um, issues from my childhood. You know, my, uh, you know, the the kind of abusive family atmosphere, and she ended up with a um, with a therapist who was very uh, 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 Al-Anon, which is not Alcoholics Anonymous, but for family members of. And this person had the therapist uh, really just really made her feel that 
you know, everything that she had accomplished was just uh, sort of overcompensation for her, you know, parents' alcoholism and that she, that it wasn't real. And, and, and she had felt so much joy in the work that she had done and this just dismantled it, you know, just really threw her into a depression because the, they, they were trying to make her, her therapist was trying to make her feel that none of it was legitimate. It was all in response to, to, um, to, you know, it's what I want to call nutty. I mean, it was nutty. The whole, you know, the, the Al-Anon, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like people getting blamed for being a victim. I mean, I, I, I have, and I get letters all the time. But uh, you know, and I interviewed somebody in New York, and they actually uh, totally turned on her because we, they had a guy who was stalking her. The people in meeting, like she was being stalked, mm-hmm. and the police mm-hmm. were even called. And the police, the woman, AA old timer, came out screaming at the cop. Uh, that what what were they doing and how dare you and this is AA and he said excuse me woman I have never seen an order of protection like this in years it's so strict mm-hmm. we're here to do our job mm-hmm. so you know that tells you a lot about well what I, I think one of the things I one of the things we're focusing on focusing on the that uh, is describing is when you, anything that you can do that's good is turned around as being a negative. It's being, you can't possibly be doing that. Um, if you assert yourself against somebody, like you're describing Monica, or if you've had these successes, it's really just a compensation for everything bad inside you, which is no actual constructive therapist would ever really approach therapy that way. I mean, we constantly draw and recover that it's, you know, the connection between these Buddhist concepts like loving kindness and what a good therapist does. And the woman we talked about went to another therapist uh, and, for example, the first thing that he said instead of like how you're overcompensating is, well, God, you've got a good job and you raised your daughter in a really positive way. And the most important thing is that your daughter is in an alcoholic, that she hasn't had the same problems that came maybe out of your family of origin, which is something you should spend all your time commending yourself about, but you'll never hear that from an AA member uh, who's raised children who aren't, don't have addictive problems. I've had so many, I once had a debate uh, with a man who was the head of treatment at Hazleton, and uh, when I said to him, how do your children drink? He said, both of them can sort of take alcohol or leave it. Uh, both of them are, you know, moderate social drinkers. And I said, how did you manage to do that? He, he couldn't even deal with that positive experience. So he said, I told him I'd beat them if they did, which is so ridiculous oh. and negative. It's, so, it's just like they can't enter the positive realm to talk. The woman in the case that uh, Elsa and I are talking about in the book uh, actually was able to say an answer to that question when the therapist said, well, you raised a daughter who has no problem with drinking uh, despite your family concerns and concerns you've had. And she said, I actually asked her how that happened. And she said, Mom, you love me so much. 
how could I not be a safe drinker? You know, it's such a touching sentiment, uh, something that if there's, gosh, if there's one thing you could say about your whole life, it would be to receive a comment like that. And yet AA and Al-Anon block off the ability to take in information like that. Right, right. It's, it, I think it's time has come, though. Did I send you both a link? There's a, a company out of Pennsylvania that they're going to launch a huge recovery. Uh, they, they see a huge hole uh, but through technology and through the, Google, the analytics of technology, what people search for, what they're researching for, that there is a need for what your book, what you know, Stanton, all of your books. I send you an email about them. They're, they're going to pay the speakers to be a part of this, and I... But I reached out to both of you. Did I do that? I'm I'm checking my email right now, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not seeing it. <laughs> well, we want to I did so, you, right? We want to reach out to people through our book. You know, we want to tell people about the perfect program to recover. We want to use every avenue. Of course, we're so happy that you're reaching out to us, Monica, and, and that you did that. You're doing videos with both of us for the film that you're making. But, you know, we've written a book whose goal is to communicate these kinds of positive things. And, you know, we feel that it'll, you know, as other of my books have done, it'll turn into other kinds of, you know, lead into other positive things. Let me, I mean, uh, while we've got your listeners here, we've talked about P, which is pause, which is introducing the ability to make decisions. And we took these, in the book, we relay uh, decision-making skills, uh, embrace. We talk about loving-kindness and meditations that enable you not only to appreciate yourself, but to reach out to forgive others. Right. Um, We have some, you know, I mean, some people will be coming to AA or will be coming to this book who really, you know, they've got a lot to worry about or to answer for. And they have to forgive themselves, but they also may have to forgive other people in their lives. And we spend a lot of the, we spend a lot of time on that. Wills and I have a case, for example, about a man who wasn't there for his child, and that he has to learn, uh, you know, how to, to to give himself room first to forgive his own parents, but then to give himself whatever room is allowable to him to, you know, reemerge in a relationship with with his child. Ilse, you, you're a great believer in forgiveness, I know. Talk about that process, would you, to, for, the, for Monica's listeners? About forgiving oneself. Or and um, others, how those two things tie together. Yeah, well, I, 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 it, is, it is important, and I think it's, you know, not to belabor the AA thing, but... I, you know, there is a big difference between between a, a genuine forgiveness and the whole process of making amends. That that's part of the twelve step program. Um, I, I think forgiveness definitely does go hand in hand with the with with um, embrace and and. Um, at treating yourself with compassion and um and uh it, it, you know it's 
Can you talk a little bit about what a compassionate view of yourself is uh, so people can get a little feeling? Yeah, sure. What I was getting at, it was not so much a a Pollyanna-ish view of of, um, uh, of accepting yourself, not this whole, um, you know, like I, I, you know, nothing that comes out of my mouth is wrong and I have, you know, it's, it's more being able to, to look at yourself in a clear way, you know, using your mindfulness uh, skills, um, being able to say, okay, um, you know, maybe I am uh, uh, strong in these areas, but I'm not right. so strong in these other areas. And it's not about saying or pretending to yourself that you are strong in areas where you're not. It's more about being able to see that realistically. And instead of saying, you know, I don't deserve to live because I'm not strong in these areas or because I've made these mistakes. It's more about being able to see those mistakes clearly, but also being able to to, to see yourself uh, as as worthy of as worthy and whole and a and a human being that has all of these good qualities and not so good qualities or things that you wish that you could improve um, and and not dragging yourself down into the mud about it and also not pretending that they don't exist uh, sort of like you know the way maybe you would treat you would treat um somebody that you love, like your best friend or, or a child where you know, um, well, you know, maybe uh, your best friend has a kind of quirk that bothers you or uh, a child has a little, you know, behavioral problem. And, and when you look at this child that you love, you're not going to say, well, you are all bad because you have this. It's like right. that you're able to see that child is as as encompassing all of it, and that's that's uh, you know like we can improve on <laughs> on this, and but it's not defining, it's not self-defining. So so it's more realistic, realistic and compassionate and balanced as opposed to being um, we talk you know polarized. We talk about a woman in in the book. Uh, in Embrace, who's uh, actually a model, and she's anorexic. And although, you know, everybody thinks she's beautiful, standard story about an eating disorder, which yeah. we regard as a form of addiction in the book. We, we take a broad view of addictions. And she uh, is capable of seeing anything good about herself. She doesn't think she's attractive. Uh, oh. She doesn't think that she's good company. And yet she was the... the uh, and actually an extremely compassionate person towards others. She became involved in a charity that dealt with children in Africa who themselves might have been maimed or uh, had illnesses that caused deformities. And as we describe in the book, she would have turned like a tiger on any one of those people, anybody who would look negatively or say anything askance about one of those children. And yet she herself looked at you know, the fact that, you know, maybe she had some tiny imperfection as an overwhelming statement about herself. So uh, it's almost like what you described, Monica. You were able to be kindly towards other people 
and have compassion to the world, in your case, maybe helping others in AA, but you couldn't apply that uh, to your own self. And so that kind of skill, that kind of ability to, to broaden your compassion outlook, you know, is a critical thing. People don't become addicted. We don't believe in denial. That's one of the concepts we talk about. We don't believe that uh, people don't recognize the bad things in themselves. We don't feel that's an overwhelming problem in the world or with addicted people, that they uh, don't, aren't able to list the bad problems they have. We feel rather it's that complete focus on those things that disables them um, and that they have to be able to shift to a, a, a broader perspective on themselves. And Elsa, what do you think about uh, the the support group aspect that some people are now saying, you know, it may or may not be helpful. I know some people who find when they go to a meeting it just triggers them. They don't want to go to meetings. Mm-hmm. Do you address the, because uh, that's sort of the AA paradigm, do you address that at all in the book or have you guys talked about that? Um, tangentially, I think we have because, uh, well, you know, uh, one of the important things uh, to, to, you know, as far as supporting your your um, uh, overcoming addiction is is having support and having, you know, um, having community and building community. But right. I, I don't know that it necessarily has has to be well it doesn't have to be the same for everybody but it but also you could find um community and support in places that you might not ever have ever have uh thought you could before you know before it was like well you have to go to a meeting with other people who are doing the same thing that you are and you have to be all up in each other's business about it right but the other thing the other thing that you could do is say finding a group of people who are pursuing an interest that you that is important to you too right and right. I, I remember one of the one of the um people uh somebody commented on the blog in the you know why I left aa stories section and he he told this great story that always sticks with me about how you know, he had been in AA for so long, and, you know, it's such a major part of his life. And, it, but eventually he, he, um, he started going to um, this dance group. Like, he, he was learning how to line dance or something, or square dance, something yeah. like that. That he was just so into, and it was bringing him so much joy and he kept going, and it got to the point where he didn't even realize that he wasn't going to meetings anymore, and his life just wasn't revolving around addiction as it had. Now right. it was revolving. It was not revolving around you know what he wasn't doing. It was revolving around what he wanted to do, and he said well, he doesn't even remember. Return, yes. Let's return to our addict in um in uh re- recover, mm-hmm. Rose originally went to a support group and she found it so such a downer and so degrading that eventually she went to just a single mother's group and some of the same things that they found uh, 
to be, they were inspired. She said, well, I quit meth. And the, the very kinds of things that they would focus on in her original 12-step oriented group, like, oh, my God, look at all the bad things you've done. How could you have done that? Uh, let, let's remember all of that. And in a single parents group, they were so impressed that she was able to overcome that. And so a group of ordinary people, each with their own problems, not all focused on addiction, was much more nurturing and more supportive of her than the kind of support group that was supposed to be supportive. When in the perfect paradigm, in those letters, in that acronym, uh, we skipped our, Ilse can talk about rediscover your values, but in F is for fortify, and we talk about being able to uh, find things in your life that you have both practicing skills like decision-making and finding supports in your life that allow you to proceed. And if we jump to C in perfect, that's celebrate, uh, which, of course, is a great, is a great involver of groups. Also, you're a great celebrator with, you know, your community in Portland. Uh, maybe you could, you could talk about the value of, uh, of being a part of something like that. Well, it is. I mean, I think, you know, making sure that you take the time to to honor your accomplishments and and the people in your life and where you are in life. And, uh, of course, you know, we're not the first people to to point this out, but we really do um, forget about those those little rituals or we don't want to take the time to, to celebrate our own accomplishments, you know, even even if they're they're big, you know, like, oh I don't want to make a fuss or whatever. But those those uh those, all of those things are so important honoring yourself and other people and um, making sure that you that you acknowledge these things because they're important to you and they they help to bind your community and um, you know bring 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 so much value it's important to say hey you know I I uh, you know I graduated or and I want to, you know, have dinner or <laughs> things like that, right. that 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 you can do all the time. I mean, you can even when you're just going through, you know, like learning how to do something. You know, like, hey, right. I just I ran a mile, and I I've never been able to do that before. You know, yeah, I, yeah. But also sitting in those rooms, uh, the idea. Uh, I went with somebody because I brought my producer. He had never been to a meeting, and so I brought him to a meeting to see what it was like and. It was really interesting to go as a non-member and not participate and not stand up and hold hands with people and say the Lord's Prayer and not say, hi, Joe, and, you know, all that stuff. And I actually walked in and knew a guy, and he handed me the book, and he was like, here. And I said, what's that for? And he said, to read. And I said, oh, no, 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 thanks. I don't want to read that. And he, like, looked at me. He didn't care. It was really a funny moment. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, you know, we have um, four minutes and 26 seconds left. We are talking to Ilsa Thompson and Stanton Peel, who have just finished a new book that is available for pre-sale on Amazon, and it is called Recover, Stop Thinking Like an Addict and Reclaim Your Life with a Perfect 
program, P-E-R-F-E-C-T, and that's an acronym. Will you tell me what that is for again? I love that. What's the acronym for? I mean, what's the, those, you know. Pause. Oh, oh, I, those letters for them. Okay, it's P is pause, E, embrace, R, rediscover, F, fortify, E, again, <laughs> for embark, which is embarking on your, your new life and celebrate. And then the T is for triage, which is our last section, and that has to do with, um, with uh, it's kind of a um, tips and tricks and things that you can do in the moment, and uh, if you're having trouble, it's ideas and lists. It's a place where you can turn in the book um, for, for fast ideas or, you know, to remember uh, uh, things that you might have forgotten as, you, as you've gone through the book. Mm, mm. I, tell, I really... tell them a little bit about um, we haven't really spent much t- time talking about rediscover which is a lot about orienting ourselves towards our values and the things that we really prize uh, maybe mm-hmm. you can fill in that, that's, that letter a little bit Elsa oh, um... we have two minutes left so um, oh, okay. if I'm, you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to have you back on hit on it for a minute and then um, we'll wrap it up after that well, the rediscover chapter is just about helping you to to remember and and incorporate the things uh, in your life that have always brought meaning to your life, you know, or that do even during during your addiction, you know, things that that are important like your family or stuff that you may have been involved in when you were a kid that really brought, that was so interesting and you were really involved in and just helping you remember the things that, you know, get you going. Right, right. Um, I want to thank Ilsa Thompson and Stanton Peel, both of you, for being on the show. I think we can have you on maybe once the book launches. And what's the date, the release date? February 4th. February 4th, and, good, so uh, we'll have you on again. Here's here's my idea, I and mean, I'm going to ask you a question after I say this. I'd like to see you on Pierce Morgan talking about this book, on John Stewart, Bill Maher, and Katie Couric. Let's say it again. I want to see you on Pierce Morgan, John Stewart, Bill Maher, and Katie Couric, and anyone else. We always make that into an acronym. I think that would really help us, you know what I mean? <laughs> so here's, well, in the social media aspect, get on Twitter and tweet to them, and we'll have everybody else who loves you guys, and you have a lot of people who love both Ilsa and Stanton, we can tweet to them directly. And maybe somebody who's, you know, searching out there looking for um, a great new book called Recover. I want to say it one more time. Recover. Stop thinking like an addict and reclaim your life with a perfect program. Uh, it, it's. I am so happy. I feel like this book is something that the world needs, the movement needs, and lots, millions and millions of people. Uh, I want to thank you again so much, Ilsa and thank Stanton. Thank you, Monica. You're welcome. Thank you, Stanton. It's a and pleasure, Monica. Thanks for all right, having we'll talk. Us. Yes, you're welcome. And uh, Facebook and Twitter, use that social media. <laughs> okay? Okay. All right, Judy. All right, Stanton. We'll, see. we'll talk to you again soon. Again, this is Monica Bye-bye. Richardson for Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. We will see you all.
next week. Good night.